Well, welcome to chapel. It is really good to be worshiping with you this morning. Just a few quick announcements, and then I'll introduce our uh, panels, panelists for today, or our guest today that uh, Jenny will be uh, interviewing today in chapel. Fusion applications for our spring break mission trips are now available. Uh, Jenny and Sydney will be in the student center this afternoon and uh, around lunchtime. If you have any questions or want more information, there will be a video shown at the con- uh, as we conclude chapel. And our two locations will be will be going to Haiti, and there'll be another group going to Florida. Uh, and you can find out more information about that in the video, and of course, talking to Jenny and Sydney. Uh, we're going to take a sock offering on Friday, and we'll make that last throughout the week. Um, you, as you know, Boston's homeless. Um, one of the greatest needs is socks, um, and they can get very, very sick if they're not constantly changing socks and getting clean socks. And this is one of the greatest needs, and they're expecting even a greater need and demand that more homeless will be on the streets this winter with the closing of Long Island Shelter. Uh, so could you please keep that in mind? Maybe floor events or groups or ministries or teams uh, just work together and let us try to provide for Boston's homeless with a sock offering. There's so many of you I want to congratulate and uh, thank for all that you do for our community. And uh, last year in chapel in the fall, I'd congratulate a group or thank a team or thank a members of the play. And every time I did that, I'd get emails, well, why didn't you also thank or praise or give congratulations to this? So I, I, I'm going to try to cover everyone now uh, to avoid receiving those emails, though I think some of you will still find a way uh, to email me later today and point out my failure in uh, not recognizing everyone. So I know it's dangerous, but we've just come through a really intense first eight weeks of the semester. And I think those that were involved in the play did a great job. Is that right? And, of course, our sports teams, our fall teams. Can, can we congratulate our teams uh, that have worked for Yes, we're going to cover everyone. Our choirs are getting ready to go out on tour. All right. And thankful to each and every one of you who've worked so hard in your classes. So far, midterms are over. I think I've covered everyone, uh, but I seem to think and believe that I will receive emails later today with complaints. So if I've forgotten you, I apologize, but want to recognize and thank all of you for the way you make this community a great community. And uh, we don't, uh, again, want to say one group is more important or better than the other, but we do need to make the announcement that the women's soccer team has a home playoff game this Saturday at 11 a.m. So they have, uh, they have this third seed in the conference, and uh, so they have a home playoff game this Saturday at 11 a.m. So congratulations to all our teams, and let's continue to support our, our women's sports teams and, of course, women's soccer this Saturday. Well, uh, this morning, Jenny is going to uh, interview Jan and Cheryl Weissen. Uh, Jan is the VP. Uh, let me see what he does here. I don't, I don't know. Jan is the VP for finance here at Eastern Nazarene College, and Cheryl is the assistant to the president. Uh, prior to coming here, they were missionaries, and their assignment was in Switzerland, where Jan served as the Eurasia Regional Communications Coordinator and Cheryl as Human Resources Manager for the region. Um, and today, they're going to share their story on how they met I had a chance to hear this story five years ago when my wife and I were leading a Bible study, a discipleship group on relationships with several couples, and they came in and shared their story, which has actually been published. And uh, after hearing their story, I was said to myself, I wish this had been done in chapel. Well, today, Jenny's going to lead that conversation. You're going to get to hear uh, their story and also just put a little plug in. They're willing to lead a discipleship group uh, on relationships for those in relationships and those who are single. Um, many of you are like me when I was in college. Uh, I thought I heard laughter. Uh, 
many of you like me, uh, you're very intelligent and very athletic and very gifted in many ways, but um, uh, struggled with relationships, not just dating relationships, but just even friendships. And uh, we didn't have the term drama that all of you seem to use, but that's what it was. Now I can put words to it. Um, and then as I accepted Christ and my relationship with Christ was established, I then needed to work on my relationships with others. So they're willing to lead a discipleship group on relationships, whether you're single or in a relationship. And maybe after hearing their story, you'd want to be a part of that. And Jenny will mention that briefly at the close of chapel. Well, there's a lot of, uh, let's be honest, there's a lot of unique things about ENC, even a little weird. Let's be honest. Um, there's a lot of strange things. You have a dorky chaplain and, you know, there are, there are different things that are just weird uh, that maybe some of you weren't used to and didn't expect when you came to a Christian college. However, there are also a lot of beautiful things. And there are a lot of things uh, that make us stronger than anyone else. And that is supporting and caring for one another in our times of need. Uh, Earlier, just a few hours ago, a student found out that his father passed away suddenly. And uh, we're not going to give information or details at this time, but uh, one of your fellow students uh, is uh, in the midst of mourning, his mom, uh, other family members and friends. And uh, J.D.'s going to lead us in a hymn that he had already had planned, actually, to sing. He had scheduled it a few days ago. Uh, but as we, as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, let us just begin remembering your fellow student um, and his family, and uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we are grateful for your grace in our lives where we can have a personal, personal relationship with with you through your son, Jesus Christ. For that, we are so grateful. And may we live a life of praise, being grateful for that, that relationship and that gift. And you also call your people to be in relationship with others in the church community, in the world, and friends and family. And so may in these days, may this community demonstrate, which I've seen them demonstrate so many times before, to truly be a community who loves and cares for their fellow student who is in the midst of very difficult hours and days. I pray your comfort upon his family as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. May they sense your presence in real and powerful, powerful ways. We pray your blessing upon them at this time. Continually show us what it means to be in relationship with you and continually show us, Lord, what it means to be in relationship with others whether that be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a friendship or relationship with family members or others, Lord. May our relationships glorify you. We thank you for the gift of family and the gift of friends. May we be good stewards of them. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is an honor um, to be interviewing with Jan and Cheryl Wisen this morning. As one of our themes for chapel this semester has been on Hebrews and just the journey of faith, um, it really is an honor to um, be in community with those who have demonstrated their faithfulness um, to Christ and to one another um, during these days. So our focus for um, chapel today will be um, just talking about healthy relationships and their own journey, hearing their testimony, ways God has been faithful um, in their lives as well. So. Um, As we start our discussion together, I know in um, talking with you a little bit that your journey has looked a little different than some um, when you, than most, okay. (laughs) Um, 
if you could share a little bit about what your faith journey was like, ways God had been faithful to you before you were married. Um, I know you got married a little bit later in life. You were 38 and 42, is that correct? So maybe just to share a little bit about... Um, and we will not say how long we've been and married. Long, okay, we'll keep that to ourselves. It'll be 19 years, December 30th. <laughs> I do want to point out, they did request their own mic so that they could correct each other when needed. So The truth has to be told, you know what I mean? <laughs> So we'll just open it up for you guys to um, share what, what, your, what your spiritual journey was like um, in your days of singleness in your time before marriage. I'll start if it's okay. Yeah, I uh, was later in life getting married. Um, a lot of my friends, well, all of my friends actually, were married much sooner than I was. Um, I had a, a good life, not that I don't now. But I had a really good life. I was, you know, things are going really well. I had a... <laughs> you mean great life? Yeah. Okay. Not like, I had a good life, not like the great life I have now. <laughs> but uh, I was uh, involved in my local church. Um, I was um, in a discipleship group, uh, teaching a Sunday school discipleship group for women in the church. I was on our missions committee. Um, I had, as I said, a good job. Um, I had always been very um, athletic, and uh, so I was playing volleyball several nights a week, softball the other nights of the week, and I uh, didn't really see any reason to change things. Um, I was happy, and um, through high school and until I met Jan, I had dated some, not a lot. Um, I was very... um, well, as some friends, male friends of mine said, I was just too picky. They were trying to diagnose why I wasn't married. And I'm thinking, okay, both of you are married, so why are you, you know, concerned about me? But anyway, they, they said I was too picky, that I was looking for perfection, and that the only two perfect men were already taken, meaning them. <laughs> and I remember, I wasn't very kind back. I looked at him and I said, if that's perfection, I'm willing to wait. <laughs> But I, I did date some, not a lot. Um, I, and in looking back, I, I, I was picky. I had a very high standard of what I was looking for in a mate. Um, and I did not, I was not one of those young ladies growing up that just dreamed of being married and having a family. My sister was that person in our family. And, um, I, it just wasn't, I was open. I, I've always tried to make myself available to the Lord and what he has for me. Um, but it, it was not a, a real burning desire within me to be married. I, I didn't need that to feel fulfilled in who I was as a person and as a woman in Christ. Um, so I, you know, when I would date, um, I real quickly would kind of find fault with the other person. I think, oh... You know, really a nice guy, but I just knew there wasn't anything more, and I didn't see a reason to continue in something that I knew wasn't going to go anywhere. And um, so I just, yeah, I, I had a, I was, I had a good life. I wasn't really looking to change anything unless the Lord, you know, brought that perfect person uh, into my life. <laughs> so I was happy. I was fulfilled. Um, yeah, in who God had made me to be at that time. Thank you, and Jan. I think you have to, I think the foundation begins on what you believe your life is worth and the price that is paid for your life. 
And if you believe the scriptures, and that's the foundation of what I believe, the ultimate sacrifice of Christ for my life put a huge price on the value of my life. And um, my dad, especially my dad, we had a really good relationship growing up. Um, and he's still alive. He's 93 and, and not quite as active as he used to be. But uh, we used to spend hours together just talking about life in general and whatnot and so forth. And um, it is, it's surprising to me through history, throughout history, just not today's culture, but throughout history, how cheaply people sell themselves. It's almost like they give themselves to the lowest bidder. And my father instilled in me uh, the worth of a name, the worth of the name Christian, and certainly the worth of the name that he gave me. And, and so there was, there was, I did not want to disappoint him, and I didn't want to disappoint my Heavenly Father because of the huge price that was paid for that and the sacrifices that parents go through and the, the sacrifices that... Um, Christ went through to do that. I didn't date much. I didn't date any in high school. Uh, I did ask a cheerleader out once and was soundly rejected. So, I, yeah, I know. It's, I have a lot more. I just, I'm not into rejection, right? I mean, come on. Um, and and, and I, did have a, I did have a really good pastor friend of mine who helped me just, you know, as he, he, he uh, Norm Stickle is his name, lived in Wenatchee, Washington. And uh, he's just been a great friend, and he helped me understand a little bit about my own personality, and I learned that I'm an off-the-charts introvert. You know what I mean? And, you know, if if it's on a scale of 1 to 20, 20 being an introvert, I'm probably about a 38, you know. I mean, it's just just that dramatic. And so, uh, you know, I have to operate in a world that, that their extroverts get a lot of attention and those kinds of things, and, and it's expected for you to do this. But I was a, I was in a, a, I literally am an off-the-charts introvert. And so I, I didn't really care too much. I, and, and frankly speaking, just observing some of my friends, I couldn't afford to date economically speaking. <laughs> because, you know, you go out on these big expensive dates, right? You know, you go here and you go to this big fancy restaurant and it doesn't last. You know, I chose to save my money, so it was it was economic. It was an economic decision more than a romantic decision. And um, he still is that way. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. I, I get that. Well, that's true. I get that from my mother because she was an excellent cook. And uh, she could outcook any restaurant that we could ever go to, and so you know I, I inherited that kind of stuff. So, and I, I married an excellent cook as well. But uh, thank you. Yeah, it gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> um, so, so, but but there there is uh, there there is a tendency I think uh, going to college. I went to NNU or NNC back then for two years. Didn't have a major. And, um, you know, my friends were in relationships. I was in a relationship. didn't work out. And, um, you know, after two years, I, I went, uh, went home and went to several other colleges and that kind of stuff. But never really dated through college. Um, I had a lot of, had a lot of friends. And um, at that time in the church, there were, I mean, I'm, I'm a part of the baby boomer. And, you know, there's billions of us hanging around. And... 
and there were more and more ministry singles. And again, the temptation is, right, to, if you're not with someone, if you're not in a relationship by the time you leave college, then you failed somewhere, right? Or at least there's an implied pressure. And if you're not a cheerleader or a star athlete or a this or a that, you know, or a, a scholar, you know, you're just kind of in the mass. And, and if, you don't, if you don't graduate or if you don't have a relationship and you move on to things, it's like you're unfulfilled. And, and I never believe that. And, and because of the fulfillment, the purpose through living in the direction is through Christ. I mean, that's, you had been in a serious relationship. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. Um, in my former life, I was uh, in hospital administration. And Norm Stuckel was actually the one who got me into that, saying, you know, there are, there are missionary hospitals across the, across the ocean, you know, that, that need administrators. And he was actually the one that was instrumental in getting me into that. So I was working at Sacred Heart Medical Center in uh, Spokane, Washington, uh, after graduate school, and I I was engaged to a nurse um, in uh, in Spokane. It's a little more complicated than that, but because this may get out to uh, that, I'm not going to explain any more that relationship. <laughs> um, but um, I felt this I felt this call. First of all, I believe the call on a Christian's life is to follow God, follow Jesus. Right, John twenty. He's, he's telling Peter, you need to follow me. And what does Peter do? He compares, well, what about her? What about him? And Jesus says, what's that to you? You know, it doesn't matter what they do. You're supposed to follow me. So I, I felt God leading me to overseas mission work in hospital administration. Uh, the church in Nazarene has three hospitals, and I was asked to go to Swaziland. And, and she wasn't keen on that. And I, I remember one day praying. I said, Lord, you know, I don't necessarily want to go overseas alone, but I will if it's your call and it's your purpose in my life. And um, it ended up she didn't like me very much anyway. So, And I we, am really glad. <laughs> and, and, and so we, we called it off, or she called it off, and got married almost immediately to another person. And... <laughs> I felt really, you know, it was a really deep, deep relationship I had. So apparently, I don't know. But um, so I, I went to Swaziland and then went to Romania, which is where we, the story picks up. Okay. So it sounds like you both found ways to really lean into your identity in who Christ had made you to be so that those days of singleness didn't feel um, less than. It oh, was very fulfilling. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard a phrase, and I really picked up on that. It, it, and it was some a, a preacher or, you know, a conference leader. He says, it, it doesn't matter as much as who you are as whose you are. Right? And, and, like, who do we belong to? And really, Scripture gives us two choices. We belong to the kingdom of God, or we don't. And really, who has paid the ultimate price for us? Who values us the most? So it's not so much who you are, whether I'm married and have 14 kids or single and never going to get married or whatever, but it's whose you are is the important thing. So tell us a little bit about how you did meet, what, that, um, what your story looks like from that point. 
very quickly, I, I spent four years in Swaziland, Africa, and then the church um, asked me to go directly to Romania, and um, and uh, my family wasn't happy because I was supposed to go home for uh, after four years, home for a year, and I told them, hey, I get a chance to go to Romania, I get to do it now, and so I'm flying. So I remember flying from Joburg, South Africa, to Zurich, Switzerland, and uh, I did that in January, and you know the uh, the southern hemisphere is in hot, hot summer, flew to Zurich, and I'm in cold, cold winter because my blood was real thin after four years. So went to a conference and then rode across Europe to Romania. And uh, I was supposed to um, be in uh, Romania for about three months and then come home for furlough for about three months. And then I saw, it was an early time in Romania when we had a lot of work and witness teams come through. And there was a work and witness team from my home district, the Northwest District, coming. And I, I talked to our regional director, Franklin Cook. Um, and I said, hey, how about if I, if I stay longer and then um, have that work and witness team and then go home after that and then spend Christmas at home? So extend my furlough out another month because it had been a while since I've been home for Christmas and seen family and everything. So we agreed to that. So come August 4th, that's when she showed up. For those of you who, who are not familiar with the Church of the Nazarene, they do have a program that's called Work and Witness, and it's for um, lay people, uh, actually anyone in the church who wants uh, a cross-cultural experience. It's for a, a course of two weeks, um, and you go to another country, and there's a whole host of uh, volunteer um, things that uh, they get involved with. Some is construction, some is uh, vacation Bible schools, um, some are uh, hospital ministries. And that I went on a work and witness team from the Northwest District, which is in Washington State. I did not grow up in the Church of the Nazarene. I did not attend the Church of the Nazarene at that time, um, but my brother did. And I heard that he was going on this work and witness team to Romania. And I remember thinking, oh, man, I would just, I would love to do that. And, but I thought, well, I'm not going to just invite myself along. I don't know any of these people. Several months passed, and my brother uh, came back to me, and he said, actually, he said, we have a fairly large team, but they have space for a few more people, and asked if I would like to go. And I thought, you know, I probably should, you know, I, well, I actually, I did. I said, well, I probably, I need to pray about it. And inside, I'm thinking, well, yeah, I'm going. I mean, you know. So I went uh, to my pastor, and I uh, told him uh, what the opportunity was. And he asked me, uh, you know, what the financial need was, and I explained to him. And that was on a Sunday morning. He said, why don't you, this was when we still had Sunday evening service, and um, people attended. And he, uh, he said, why don't you share your story tonight at church? And I did. And by the end of the service, I had all of the money that I needed to go on this trip. I didn't pay one penny out of pocket. And You're a cheap date. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's how I got on this work and witness team, my brother and my then 11-year-old nephew were going as well. And so I flew off to Romania with this group of people that I had never met before. And when we arrived in Romania, um, Jan was the first uh, face that we saw um, once we got through security. 
But he was there to meet the team, and he knew most everyone on the team, and then to take us to our hotel. So that was my first encounter with Jan. Yeah, I, uh, I uh, forced her into teaching the... They, they arrived on August 4th, a Saturday. I forced her into teaching Sunday school the next day. Because, right, it's work in windows, right? I mean, why fly across the world if you're not actually going to work, you know? So I talked her into that, and then she pawned off onto someone else. Someone told him he was asking for a Sunday school teacher for the following, the next morning. And someone said, well, Cheryl's a teacher. And I'm like, I'm not a teacher. (laughs) I've never been a teacher. And then I learned how persistent Jan can be, and he would just not let let it go. And so finally I just, he wore me down. I said, okay, I'll do it. So that was, again, so my friendly know, introduction. getting to know okay. Jan. Yeah. Part of my responsibility was, at that time, uh, we were told that U.S. passports were worth about $5,000 on the open market. So part of my job was to collect passports of the team members. And there were about 26 people there. So I was collecting passports. And being the red-blooded American boy that I was, right, you know, I'm looking at 26 people, you know, and a lot of them I knew, but there was this person over here that I didn't know. So I'm flipping through passports, right, you know, because you know what's in a passport, right? Date of birth, you know, all some kinds of good kind of information like that. <laughs> so so I check it. I, you know, the first one I opened up is Cheryl Marks. Checked out, you know, July 16th, 1957. Younger, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, younger. It's not a contest. Um, So I'm thinking, okay, this is good. You know, within four years, that works for me. And uh, as if you never think of those things. Come on now. So the very next passport I looked was Steve Marks. Oh. She's married. I won't say what I thought, but then the next passport was Nicholas Marks. Not only is she married, but she has kids, too. <laughs> Threw that out, and that was, as, uh, I think that was the only available single, or that was the only person that I, I, that I thought was available, and she was married. I've never heard him say this part before, so I was, like, I was sort of like, you know, chopped liver, just the... So, so there are a lot of things you don't know. <laughs> Pastor, can we schedule a, a session with you later? <laughs> so we were, we were, um, the, the team it was, was large, and the next day or the ne- over the next weekend, we went out, and um, she worked at the, what we called the big building, and I worked with her husband out at, at a site digging digging a foundation for a church we're building. And he was talking, you know, we were sitting, I was working with Steve and, you know, digging side by side this foundation by hand. And he was going on and on and on about how he and his wife were, you know, talking about how bringing their 12-year-old son over to Romania. And I'm, you know, I'm hanging around. It's like, excuse me, you've obviously mistaken me for someone who cares, you know? (laughs) And... You know, trying to be polite, but honestly, I don't really care, you know. And, and then he said, so, so our, my wife and I, we decided to, to let him come. And so she's at home with our other two kids. So I thought, so he's a polygamist too? <laughs> so in my very cool and suave and quite debonair, 
I just sort of very quietly said, so, well, then, what's the relationship to Cheryl, then? And she said, oh, he's my sister, or she's my sister. And I started digging faster, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So that's, that, was, that was my first thought, oh, she is available. And then we, uh, we were in the country for two weeks. And over the course of the first week, because the team was large, we were split up and went to different work sites, but we would all come back together at the end of the day for the evening meal. And we were always at the same table, not just at one, uh, me at one end and Janet at the other, but we were either sitting, sitting next to each other or across the table from each other. And we just, uh, I, yeah, I heard a few, oh. Well, I found out later that you know, he was sort of, yeah. It was a job interview. He was sort of, yeah, and I didn't know that. I thought, what a nice guy. We just, he was very easy to, to talk with. Um, some, I'm sure some people don't understand or appreciate his sense of humor. I don't know what it says about me, but I really enjoy it. And he was just a really nice guy. And it was, and I had for a long time had a real interest and a heart for missions. So it was an opportunity for me to just talk with Jan and, you know, what is life like? And um, we started talking about the Church of the Nazarene. I had applied with a different organization uh, and never, I had filled out the application, but never mailed it. And at the time, I just thought, you know, I just don't know if this is the right thing for me. Um, and then in talking with Jan and his questions of me, which was a job, inter- an interview, which I didn't know that at the time. I didn't think anything of it. Like I had said, I was, you know, I was happy with life. I certainly didn't go to Romania thinking I was going to meet the person I would spend the rest of my life with. But over the, the first week, um, it was becoming pretty clear to me that I just started noticing some things that I thought, you know, I think there might be something there. I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree, but I thought, you know, I think there's some not-so-subtle hints here. And this is where some truth has needs to come in here. So I'll just... He gets really defensive when I tell this, but... <laughs> We, on the, the first, the week after we'd gotten there, the first Saturday, we were touring a museum in Bucharest. And I thought, you know, I think he has an interest in me. I'm just going to put him to a test. So I, as we were moving from room to room in the museum, I stayed back in a room. And I was kind of just observed, looking at the things on the wall, but noticing that someone else had stayed back in the room with me. And then the next... Day. All right, now wait a we minute. don't have wait a time minute. to go into everything. Right, let me, but seriously, Quentin, do I look like a stalker to you? I mean, come on. Look, 26 people, and my job to make sure everybody gets to the museum, everybody gets through the museum, and gets back. I was doing my job. She was straggling, and I was keeping up. That's the truth. So, so the next day is Sunday, and we're going out to this village to yeah, have this church. Is and we had, uh, it was in, at the home of the, the pastor and his family in the driveway. And so we took the, the, the bench seats out of the vans and set them in the driveway. And that was what we sat on for church. And I sat down and there was a spot next to me. And I was just, again, just kind of, I hadn't talked, to, said anything to anybody. That's really juvenile. So I just, you know, I'll just kind of play this out, see where it goes. 
And so I just was kind of watching to see. Jan was talking to other people, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw him come around the back and start up. And just as he got even with that one empty seat, somebody else came and sat down. And Jan turned and walked away. So I'm like, there is something going on here. (laughs) Well, the seat was taken. (laughs) (laughs) So then um, we... uh, the, t- the team was getting ready to do some sightseeing in the country. And the, the night before we were leaving Bucharest, um, I had two roommates. One, um, her name was Shirley, and she was actually married to uh, one of Jan's former college roommates. And then the other was uh, a 12-year-old girl who had come with her parents. So there's three of us in a room, and we had all of the other women in our room, and we were putting uh, packages together for a ministry we were going to be doing at the hospital when we returned to Bucharest. And Jan, had, as he said, he had kept all of our passports, and he was uh, returning those uh, so we would have them for our trip. And he uh, came to our room at the hotel, and he handed the three passports to Melissa, who was the 12-year-old, and then he quickly departed. Want to say anything more there? (laughs) No, I just, you know. But, I mean, you know, as I said, I'm not in a rejection, right? And it it was, was, uh, the turning point for me was the the night before, I think, we had a conversation outside the big building on the steps, and we, um, I, I got an inkling that she would be, willing to serve, to follow God, and be a missionary, which was important for me because that was my life at that particular point. And so when she went up to um, dinner that night, I went to my office, and I sweated bullets, and I wrote a poem. It was really, really nice. Now, look, all right, can we just agree? I've got a reputation to uphold, so if we just keep that within here, okay? We just don't do it. So I, He's I very wrote, creative. I wrote her a poem and then stuck it inside her passport. So when all of the other women left our room, it was just the three of us, and we're sitting on our beds, and Shirley, the, the one my age, she uh, saw my passport, and there was a brown envelope in it with my name typed on it, and I'm kind of looking at it, and she says, well, what's that? I have no idea, and we're looking at the others. They didn't have anything in their passport, so I opened it, and it was a poem from Jan, and I started reading it, and I didn't even have to finish it, but I did. I just fell back on my bed, and surely she goes, what, what, what is it? I said, I think I'm in love. (laughs) (laughs) So So the rest of that night, Melissa, the 12-year-old, promptly went to sleep, and Shirley and I were up all night, not talking all night, but every once in a while I would hear her say, Cheryl, are you awake? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm awake. I cannot for the life of me get to sleep. And uh, so then the next morning, my brother and I had, my brother and I had planned to um, call home just to check in, and so we called my parents. And as we're standing at the phone booth in the hotel, I had taken the poem with me, and because I had been thinking, I had been, like I said, I had been thinking something's going on and I was going to ask my brother if he had, you know, noticed anything. And again, I thought, oh, that's really stupid. I'm not going to say anything. And so I handed him the poem and he started reading it and he stopped and he goes, thank you, Lord. And I'm kind of, what? 
he read a little further and he stopped. He said, thank you, Lord. And I looked at him and said, what? Because I, I, I'm thinking, you know, my family, they never said anything, but I'm sure they were worried, concerned that, you know, Cheryl is never going to get married. You know, she's 38 years old. My brother was married. My sister was married. They both had kids. And I'm, you know, and then there's Cheryl. And they, but they never said anything. And, and I looked at my brother and said, what? Why are you saying that? And he told me from the moment I told him, yes, I will go on this trip, he started praying that the Lord would bring Jan and I together. And I looked at my brother and I said, do you know Jan? And he said, no, he'd never met him. <laughs> and then my next question was, do you know his family? And he said, I have not met them, but I have been around them at district events. And he said, I know enough of them and have heard enough about Jan that I knew the two of you would be perfect together. And he said, from that moment, I started praying that the Lord would bring you together. He hadn't told his wife or anyone. So I'm standing there. I'm thinking, man, I don't have a chance. You know, it's like it was truly a match made in heaven. And so we then get on a bus to leave Bucharest for two days, and I'm thinking, it's time. She's, okay. She's <laughs> okay. So real quickly, we leave, the, we leave the city, and I'm thinking, how am I going to tell Jan, I need to let him know I received this. I can't just not acknowledge it. And so we get, uh, he meets up with us uh, out in the country, and we again walk into a, a, a pizza place, of all places, and we sit down, I sit down finally I'm watching Jan and he had already eaten with another group and so he's just kind of talking to them so I'm thinking okay so he's not really paying any attention to me I'll just sit down well then again I see him kind of moving around and John Scott who was one of the missionaries there in country he said well Jan there's a spot here so Jan sat down and I'm thinking okay now what do I say and while people were just conversing around the table I leaned over and I just told him that I had received the poem and that I felt the same (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and I very, again, my very cool and suave debonair, I, I said, well, good. <laughs> On the inside, I was going, yes! <laughs> well, I hate to cut the rest of the story short, but I, I do know that you met in August, and the wedding was in December. December 30th. December 30th. So... Very quick engagement story. We don't have time to go into all the details of how that came about, but could you share just briefly um, what took place in your discernment process during that time, and if you have any quick thoughts of um, just marriage in general for students as they're at this stage in life? um. Well, again, I wouldn't recommend that for everyone, (laughs) Um, but but given our age, um, where we both were in life in our walk with the Lord, um, and in looking back all of my, through my life, and I think through Jan's as well, and even the, the more recent past from when we met, the fact that he was asked to go to Romania and he gave up his year of furlough. If he had t- said, no, I need to go home, we would never have met. And then because he saw that this group from his home district was coming, he asked to stay a month longer. And again, if he had not done that, we would not have met. And so it's just, uh, you know, we, again, it's not for everyone, but I think the Lord just moved us. He worked in our lives and moved us to the same place, the same time to bring us together. 
um, we could not have forced that or made that happen. It was it was clear to me that it was the Lord's moving. And so from that moment, um, the rest of the last few days in country, we just were spending all of our time together talking. And we knew when our team left at the end of two weeks, we knew we weren't saying that we were going to be married, but it was implied in all conversation. I mean, we just knew. And um, so it was, it was quick. Um, you know, it was easy. It was Christmas time. So, you know, the church is already decorated. So we didn't have to, you know, so I love save money on, on yeah, that. I love flowers. And I thought, you know, it's already decorated and I'm not a, neither one of us are really fancy or frilly. So we didn't need a lot. Um, so we had a nice, very simple, traditional wedding. Um, it was, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an ordeal to plan or anything. And we had a honeymoon, and then two weeks later, we went back to Romania together. I'd like to tell her that we went on a 10-year European honeymoon. <laughs> the first two years in Eastern Europe, which is very different than other parts of Europe. But anyway, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, in married life, it, you know, it, it's not without its challenges. Um, but uh, I can't, uh, it wasn't long after we were married that we were both just talking and said, you know, I really can't remember what it was like to be single. Um, it's just, it, it's been a very natural, again, it takes work. It's not just, you know, you're married and life is rosy. Um, life is good, but it, it, it comes with challenges. And he'll often say, he'll say to me, you know, you're not my favorite person right now. I'm like, well, I can say the same, you know. But, um, yeah, we just, uh, we keep the Lord front and center in our relationship and in all that we do, or we try to, that's what we work towards. And um, he has been faithful and blessed us beyond what I think we deserve. Or, yeah. yeah, he's just, you know, sometimes I kind of question, Lord, why do you, you know, I wouldn't want it any other way, but we're just truly blessed. Any closing thoughts from you, Jan? I know we're... We, I, I know we're, I know someone went over, but... Um, <laughs> uh, uh, j- just really quickly, I know... I know that that you know growing up and I you know go through the same thing. I just need to find the perfect person, right? I think it's more important to be the right kind of person for someone to come along, as opposed to find the right person because that means, oh, I'm de- I'm I'm depending on you to fulfill me, and that's just not going to happen. I mean, you know, it's an impossible task for another human being to fulfill another human being. That's only that's only God can do that. Um, but so it's important to be the right person for a mate if it comes along if in God's timing. And there's also just a quickly, I, I think a principle of, of, I think there's a spiritual, I'm no theologian, but I think there's a spiritual, uh, lesson here in, in scriptures that says about the blessing of the family. And I, I made sure that her family was a thousand percent behind going forward. I wrote her parents a letter after she left, and I asked permission. Let me just, guys, you can never go wrong by respecting the parents. Never. And that will live literally a lifetime with that. So so I I wrote them, and I asked permission to continue corresponding with her. And um, I knew without that that blessing from from the spiritual side, that it would, and if they would have said, gee, we really wouldn't prefer, I would have called it off. Because it's not, there's just too many more details to be, but I'll stop okay. there. 
Well, can we thank them for their time? <laughs> I, I do wish we had more time to um, hear more of their story, but again, they are interested and available if any are willing to um, have further conversation about healthy relationships in general. Again, if you're in a relationship currently or even if you're not, uh, maybe once or twice a month, but just speak with them or speak with Corey or I and we'll um, get more information together on that. Um, Can we close our time in prayer? God, we thank you so much for the ways that you demonstrate your faithfulness to us, Lord, even in the ways that we are unaware. God, for the ways that you orchestrate um, our life together um, in community and ultimately in relationship with you, God. I thank you for being our all in all. For I pray for our students during these days of discernment about healthy relationships in their own, in their own lives. And God, that you would give them um, wisdom and direction. And God, we thank you for those who have gone before us that um, can offer words of wisdom and, and advice along the way. Lord, I just thank you for the privilege it is to be in community with one another. And um, Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. Go in peace. We'll start with what fusion means to you. Okay. Fusion means a lot to me. Um, it's a way to connect with others, especially if you're outside of the country and you allow yourself to step out of that comfort zone and to see how God's working in other people. It was an opportunity for me to, um, to give back to a different community that I've never been to um, and to see a different side of what the United States is going through. Fusion is student mission trip. During spring break. Do you know when spring break is? March 7 through 14. One trip is going to Haiti to help install solar panels. The other trip is going to Florida to work with unaccompanied minors. If you're interested in Fusion, I say, um, Go for it, apply, even if you don't know um, if that's really what you're called to do right away. Not only are we allowing people to go out and see God's work, but we're also telling them that we support them in their ministry and anything that they want to do, especially in fusion.